All right. I think we're live. I think everything's working. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz. Happy Monday to you. For those of you that are live streaming with us, it's good to have you here today. I hope you had a good weekend. Uh, it's gloomy out. It, you can you can see how like I look like I'm spotlighted right now. I need some some backlight or something to kind of balance things out. But it's super dark out, so I don't have the natural ambient light that I normally do. I hope the weather's nicer where you're at. Uh, I am excited though for the conversation that we're going to have today with a, a brand new guest, actually, who I'm going to introduce here in just a second. For those of you that are live streaming, though, make sure that you take advantage of this opportunity to ask questions, comment, join the conversation. That's one of the benefits of these live streams is to actually get the chance to engage with our guests. Myself is a bonus, but certainly our guests, that's that's the most important thing, and especially the conversation we're going to be having today. So don't be shy. Ask questions, comment, send us funny emojis if you want to. Come hang out with us. Let's make it a group discussion. All right. Well, on that note, I actually want to introduce our, our guest for today. And uh, Jesse is here with me from the Till Agency. Jesse, thank you for making the time to do this show on a Monday morning. Yeah, absolutely. Super happy to be here and excited to, to have this conversation for sure. Well, and, you know, it's we're going to be talking today about three important tests that any business owner, certainly photography business owner, needs to run when it comes to running ads for the sake of their business. We're going to get into that. We'll dig into it in more detail here in just a second. But I told you before we got started, I'm like, look, like this is a genuinely a topic I'm interested in. It's space we spent a lot of time in as a company for years now, but it's ever-changing and there are always these frustrations that creep up you have to try to sort through. So I'm, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to kind of dig into your wisdom a little bit in just a second. But I want to introduce you and and your brand uh the company to our listeners as well so let's start with that we talk a lot about brand position here i know there are various digital marketing agencies um hundreds thousands potentially and i'm curious how you all position yourself in the market what's your brand position yeah so we definitely focus on uh on helping businesses scale basically looking at hey you're 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 a business that's seen okay results you're seeing um positive movement. You're not necessarily brand new and you are um, looking uh, to scale. And we do that um, by really focusing on a full funnel approach. Um, as agencies, they get a bad rap sometimes because it's really easy for, for agencies to step back and say, hey, we're getting you a ton of traffic. If that's not turning into dollars in your pocket, like that's not our fault. Um, whereas, you know, we take a much more holistic approach where we're looking at uh, the entire funnel. We include full funnel consulting. We're happy to look at landing pages. You know, if you record sales calls or consultations, like we're happy to listen to those and give you feedback on those things. And that's probably one of the biggest differentiators that, that we have is that like we really truly want to help you you know businesses see results as opposed to just help them spend money okay uh and that makes sense and i am actually i'm kind of old school so i take notes on a notebook while while i'm interviewing my guests i wrote down the word funnel because i want to come back to that that term here in just a second and let you describe for our listeners what that means I, some listeners may be brand new to this this idea of you know even a funnel i think in fact speaking personally anyway and i'm projecting here a bit but I know as a photography business owner for about a decade, I don't know that I even ever considered that word. In fact, I may not even heard the word. And this is back from 2001 to about 2012. Uh, yeah. But it, I just didn't think that way as a photography business owner. And, and I know that nowadays, of course, the terminology is thrown around quite a bit, but I'm not sure that most photographers think of themselves in light of a sales funnel. They're just thinking about trying to book a client to book a gig. And so I want to come back to that and we'll kind of set up yeah. that conversation in more detail here in just a bit. Um, in the meantime, do you mind, Jesse, turning your gain up just a little bit more on your end? I want to make sure that all of our listeners can hear. And we've got a number of streaming with us already. Thank you all so much for 
joining us for this conversation. I'm going to pop up the uh, Till Agency website here, Scaling Business with Social Ads. We're a digital advertising agency that scales businesses. And uh, I think that sets up the conversation pretty well, too, because as you alluded to, Jesse, the, the, the business is in place for those who have... I guess an established business in some of some sort. They're generating revenue. They want to take things to the next level, and the tail agency is the place to go for that. And uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. Of course, we'll link to the the website in the show notes at bocapodcast.com for everybody listening in. Let's keep the conversation going though, because I know we're going to really dig into the to the weeds when we get to uh, talking about ads and paid ads and how to set those up. Talk to me about customer experience, Jesse. Um, and you and the team there at, at Till, I'm sure have quite a bit of experience working with photographers and other creatives. What's the driving idea behind, at least from your perspective, providing really good customer, customer experience? Yeah. Um, so this is an easy one for me. Um, I will die on this hill and that is that communication is the number one piece of, uh, you know, or the number one building block of being able to give someone a very unique or, just overall good customer experience. Without that, um, like everything starts to fall apart. Not only does communication help um, uh, prevent potential issues uh, with customer experience, but also it's the only way for you to smooth over things when things start to go south. You know, when you run a business, especially a photography business where there's like, you know, a lot of subjectivity, uh, you know, you could have a shot list from a client, you could do exactly what they want and they could still come back and say, Hey, like, I, I don't like these photos. I don't like the way I look or, or whatever. Um, and communication and being able to, uh, you know, like think through how you're going to respond ahead of time or mm -hmm. have some of these things in place are the only way that you're going to be able to smooth that over, um, and, and potentially turn that bad situation into it. It's an okay or even good one. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think that I, keep going back to, and again, I may be projecting a bit here, but especially for photographers edit, when I think about how we communicate or how we can possibly communicate effectively with not only potential clients, but also of course our existing clients, a lot of it seems to center around managing expectations clearly. And I bet that's a challenge that you all face as well, making sure that your potential clients understand what it is that they actually get from you. Is there a way that you've been able to more effectively, I guess, manage expectations for your clients? Yeah. For sure. So, I mean, anytime we're, I've been, I've been doing marketing consulting and business coaching and, and um, you know, that kind of stuff for, for a handful of uh, years now. And it's a very fine line between giving someone like hope of, Hey, this is what could happen. And like, Hey, this is also what could happen on the negative side of things. Interesting. And so that's one of the things that I try to very clearly uh, set those kind of bookends of like, Hey, like, Facebook isn't like the, hey, you're going to become a millionaire overnight uh, platform anymore. Um, but at the same time, like there's still great results that can be had there. Um, but it does require sometimes some tinkering. It requires some back mm. and forth. It requires some testing mm -hmm. um, to figure out like what's going to what's going to work best. And I feel like as anytime there's a place where there's a lot of competition, um, like those are some of the pieces that are uh it's going to be really important for you to be able to like think through what are the expectations that we have. We'll talk a little bit about that as we look at like tests that we, we do. And I think that uh, being able to kind of set the expectations, even for yourself, when you're, when you're getting into a new marketing uh, kind of Avenue or, or channel, uh, being able to look at those and say, okay, hey, I'm going to give it this much time because I know that uh, this could happen, but I also know that I also need to be willing to pull the plug at some point if this isn't working. So for us, you know, we try to say like, Hey, 
within three months, we will know if this is going to be a good fit for you or, or, or your business. Um, and so we try to like set expectations that way by giving like timeframes and giving like, you know, like I said, the, the potential results, but also like the potential lack of results, which, um, you know, any, any marketer that will guarantee results is either doing something uh, that they shouldn't be doing <laughs> <laughs> or, um, you know, know something that I don't. <laughs> and you kind of know everything. So yeah, that would be, I wouldn't skip. say that, but you know, we, we've, you know, between, you know, me and the rest of our team, yeah. um, like we have probably more experience than any agency in especially the creative industries. By the way, shout out to Davy Jones. I should have mentioned that up front. Davy's been on the podcast now at least twice, maybe three times over the years. So, uh, of course, the partner in the business as well. And um, so hello to Davy. But uh, interesting that you talk about certainly the honesty piece, right? When in a, in a conversation with a potential client, if we want to mitigate the possibility that they are surprised by something, we need to make sure that we give them a complete picture, not just the stuff that sounds really good on, on, on an ad, for example. Um, yeah. Because it, it's easy to do that in order to try to sell, but if we haven't managed expectations effectively, then there's a good chance that they're surprised by something later on. And that's that can create certainly a sense of discomfort and as a result, distrust as well. Um, so that's a that's actually a really great reminder. Okay, well, I want to keep yeah. going in conversation. Let's talk a little bit about time. Time is another big point of conversation here on the podcast, has been for a very long time. As a business owner myself, I want to be able to maximize the level of, certainly the amount of time, the free time I have, but I think for me, what's even more important is just flexibility. Because the reality is, as you know, managing multiple companies, I'm gonna sometimes work crazy hours, long hours, weird hours, and then at the same time, I want to be able to drop everything and go ride my motorcycle or take a few days away at the beach or go spend time with my kids or whatever it might be. I'd like that kind of flexibility. And I've, I've realized, I think that that is even more value to, valuable to me than necessarily the num specific number of hours that I'm working in a week. And I'd love your Absolutely. take on this, but what would you say is kind of the big idea for you that drives your ability to be able to balance professional life, personal life and, and not get burned out? Yeah. So, uh, I can speak to this, uh, personally. Um, and that is basically looking at it from the perspective of when I'm working, I want to make sure I'm working. Um, and like I'm removing as many distractions as possible. I am, um, kind of being as efficient as possible. And because what I find is that sometimes, you know, let's say I'm working 30 to 40 hours a week. Um, a lot of times, like I don't necessarily need more time. Uh, there was a branding agency, uh, gosh, I forget the name of it now, but one of their big things was to talk about like, we don't need more time. Um, chances are because one, because like that's a very dangerous trap to fall into when chances are we could be doing a ton more with the time that we have. And that's 100%. one of the biggest ways that, that I, uh, kind of balance those things is looking at, okay, this is how much time that I have in the week. Mm. Um, and granted there are seasons where like I have to stay up, you know, until two o'clock in the morning to get stuff done. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I try at least to be able to have those, those boundaries. And this is something that I'm constantly working on and, and that my wife tries to hold me accountable to as much as possible. Um, but, you know, looking at it from the perspective, these are the times that I'm working. How can I make the most of this time? And that's one of the most effective ways that I've found to be able to balance that. Yeah, that, and I don't think we talk about this enough in, in the industry. In fact, what's funny, Jesse, is that I started before the book of podcasts. This is maybe seven or eight years ago, maybe even before that. Um, I, I created a brand. Photographer's Edit was already in place, my editing company, and certainly that was the main focus, but I created a kind of a secondary brand for multiple reasons, but it was simply called I Have a Life. Like I, I got the domain name, IHaveALife.com, and I wanted uh -huh. to create a conversation 
around how to how to establish more freedom, more flexibility as business owners. And I'm very much with you. I think at the root of that conversation is efficiency. But that that is the least sexiest topic that any photographer wants to delve into <laughs> or listen to a podcast about. And and I realize that you know we could have maybe approached it in a better way um, in various ways. But nonetheless, I, I think that if we are trying to create a business that scales effectively, we do actually have to think about how effectively are we are working with a given amount of time. I, I'm pretty proud of what I'm able to get done in a half hour or an hour myself because I've established systems and workflows. I've realized what's important, what's not important. And so I'm able to manage my time pretty effectively. And whereas some people might be like, oh, well, you only work X number of hours a week. How are you able to do, you know, run this brand and do that thing and have multiple podcasts? I just don't understand how you do it. In fact, they'll literally say that. And I think a lot of it comes down to efficiency and the, the way that I work, which gives me a lot more leverage than and how I manage my time. So I think it's a way under discussed topic. Would you say that there's a particular idea that drives your efficiency and getting work done when you're actually working, like you said? Yeah, I think that it's the idea of uh, like progress over perfect um, and just getting stuff done. Um, obviously yeah. like, you don't want to be sloppy. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I did a lot of business coaching for photographers specifically over the years. And one of the biggest things that I kept coming through is like, it would take someone, f you know, like 45 minutes to respond to a single email because they rewrite it 300 times. Um, whereas like it ended up almost always being very similar to the first email they wrote. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, being able to really take a, take a step back and look at it from a, like, I just need to get these done. I need to, mm like remove at least some aspects of the emotional pieces of that. And granted, you know, everyone's personality is different. It's like, I'm not a huge perfectionist for a lot of things. Um, like I'm like, Hey, look, let's get this done. Let's get this to 90%. Um, and then let's get it out so that I can serve them in other ways better. But instead of like, you know, like they probably don't care if I worded that email, you know, 45 minutes differently. Yeah. Um, whereas if I had 45 minutes extra to go edit a, a wedding and get it out that much faster, that's going to provide a much better experience overall. So um, it's that, that idea of like progress over perfect um, mm -hmm. is more important to me than um, obviously like always putting out this like 100% perfect front. It's funny. I, I was listening to a little bit of a podcast this morning with Gary Vaynerchuk and he was talking about this very idea. And he's like, somebody will comment on my video and say, oh, if you turn this way, that sun wouldn't be in back of you. You wouldn't be backlit and it would, you would look better. He's like, what are you talking about? You know, he's got millions and millions of followers and it's not just about the followers. He's made such a massive impact on the financial health and the emotional health of these various business owners. And he's not focused on the presentation being absolutely perfect. And it obviously, I mean, he's proof over and over and over again that this works. And of course we can see it elsewhere as well, but uh, that's, that's a really great reminder. It's a good reminder for me too. A lot of times I get stuck on stuff that I just shouldn't be making that big of a deal about. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us. Um, well, let's keep going. Do me a favor, Jesse, turn up your mic just a little bit more if you don't mind. And let's, let's talk a little bit about, before we get into kind of the main conversation at hand about paid ads. I'd be curious to know if you have a recommendation for a book, help self-help book, business book, a favorite of yours that's made a big impact in your life. Yeah. So, um, uh, a couple for sure. I think that one of the most impactful uh, books that I had, uh, just even from because I read it early on when I you know, I'd first started a photography business, gosh, in 2010, nine, maybe. Um, gosh, that's a long time ago. <laughs> um, but are you, yeah, are so, you feeling you know, old, Jesse? <laughs> I, yeah, it just hit me. Um, 
but yeah, I think that that book was tribes by Seth Godin and just the idea yeah. of being able to like create a, a business that impacts people and brings people together not just top down, but side to side. Um, and that was like such a mind opening thing that was like, Oh, like this doesn't have to, I'm like a huge extrovert. I'm a, uh, I'm an ENFP and uh, Enneagram seven. It's like, I'm all about the people. Uh, like th there's people I'm there. I'm excited. I'm, you know, uh, I want to be around people all the time. And so being yeah. able to have a business, you know, with photography, it's like, Hey, we have these clients. And then like, you know, in my mind, I was like, Hey, they're clients once and then they're never clients again. And you know, it's like kind of like bum me out. And then being able to think they're like, no, we can create these like tribes or we can create these communities of people um, that like you can, you know, have friendships with, or you can like be excited to see, when you know they're they have big life events in the future or whatever um and that was just kind of a, a a mindset shift for me when it comes to just looking at like businesses and your customers and things like that and that was uh again probably more so just because it was very early on in my like quote unquote entrepreneur career and that really started to just kind of like shape how i viewed businesses and customers and things like that mm -hmm. um, but definitely one i recommend still to this day I, certainly one of my favorite books of his and he's he's such a great writer because he goes so f he's able to accomplish so much with so few words it's so many yep. business books are just so much fluff it's like 80 20 you get a bunch of fluff and then you get some <laughs> good stuff and Seth is such an incredible writer and in that he gets so much across just in a sentence or two and so for that reason in of itself I'd recommend him as, as an author certainly but this is a really powerful book and I'm trying to remember, Jesse, is, is Tribes the one where he talks about how as much as we like to get these big numbers, like we think about social media following and how that's going to translate to us making crazy money. And the reality is if we just focus on a niche group of people and serve them really, really, really well, that's actually what will translate to bigger results. Is that the book? Yeah, I'm 90% sure it's in Tribes. Um, I, I also subscribe. I've been subscribing to his like daily uh, emails mm -hmm. for, for years. Um, and... I can't remember if they're, I'm sure that he recycles um, content from his books through there. So it may be being pulled from there, but okay. I think that it did come from Tribes. Well, I'm going to pop this up on the screen. Everybody listening in, Tribes, We Need You to Lead Us. Uh, this is a book by Seth Godin that came out actually back in 2008, but 110% still just as relevant now and can't recommend it enough. So we'll link to that in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. So Jesse, we're going to get into to this topic of paid ads, and I know that you're going to share three important tests that any entrepreneur running paid ads needs to run to, to improve the results that they're getting. But before we do that, I have kind of a selfish question <laughs> for you, um, because we've been using Facebook as an ad platform, paid ad platform um, for years. And some of the numbers that we've seen over the years have been, as you kind of alluded to earlier, have been insane. I mean, for the, for the money spent... Um, the ROI was just absolutely incredible. And at, at times seeing like eight, 10 X, um, eight to 10 X return on, on spend. Mm -hmm. And we're of course at the kind of the opposite end, the opposite extreme of that right now. And, and I'm curious if you are seeing, I mean, I think most people are aware now, of course, the significant effects that, um, privacy as it relates to iOS, uh, in particular, the changes that have happened in the last six months to a year and how that's affecting the way that ads are running. And um, it seems I, I'm getting the sense that Facebook is just kind of like last ditch effort trying to make whatever they can work. But we were literally seeing them make up numbers in our in our reporting platform on the back end because we use a secondary platform for for more detailed reporting. So we can see what Facebook is telling us. And basically, they're like, oh, th these are going great. And they try to put t numbers together that, that would suggest as such. And then we're seeing what's actually happening on the other side and we're not getting results. 
Do you still yeah. recommend Facebook as an ad, a paid ad platform for photographers or entrepreneurs in general? Yeah. So I think that before we jump in there, I think there's two things we have to kind of discuss. One um, being like, what exactly is like the cause of what's going on? So you mentioned like the privacy updates that have been happening. I'm actually, it's, it's funny. I'm actually a big privacy advocate that runs sure. a marketing platform uh, or marketing agency that uses a ton of uh, data. Um, but you know, when we, when we're taking a step back and we're looking at when we lose that data, um, that potentially, uh, you know, where we're shopping, what kind of websites we're visiting, um, what apps we're using, what we're doing in those apps and things like that. Um, we lose a lot of the personalization for the ads that are happening and, and being shown to us. Um, so basically when we're looking at losing that data, it affects the, the ad platforms in two ways. One is in targeting. So obviously when you lose data, Facebook's like kind of creepy algorithm that could like send you an ad before you like, you know, like you, you mentioned something to somebody out in the woods with no cell, no cell phone yep. service, you get back you're like, uh, <laughs> what the heck is happening here? Yeah. Um, and I've like, I've, I've done some like pretty, uh, uh, extensive testing on my own just because I wanted to see like, Hey, like how seriously does this actually happen? Um, and I'm convinced that um, the algorithm is far more sophisticated than anyone ever, ever really believed. Mm. Um, but with, with that said, we lose some of that data, which means the targeting becomes uh, a little bit uh, less effective. There are other ways that Facebook is kind of starting to uh, combat some of those things. But I think that's going to be a little bit before it gets back to potentially where it was, if it ever gets to that, that point again. Um, the second piece that it was uh, really affected with, with you know, some of these privacy updates, uh, specifically the iOS update in 20, gosh, 20 or 21, I think, um, is attribution. So like what you're talking about there, where you're saying like, hey, they're, like they're making up numbers, which isn't actually too far from the, the truth. If you're, you know, in your ads manager, um, when you're seeing the results, there's going to be a little asterisk uh, next to it. And it says going to say, okay, this is, con uh, this is including modeled data, which basically means yep. that the data that they get from that, that they get from, uh, iOS devices, for example, uh, they're going to say, oh, we sent 300 uh, link clicks there. And of those 300 link clicks, 10%, uh, you know, 10% of them uh, purchase. So then they apply that 10% basically across. Um, and granted, they don't exactly tell us, but this is what we can at least uh, kind of infer from some of those pieces is that they are modeling data based off the data that they do have for data that they don't. Um, well, and they're not just doing that, by the way, with link clicks, they're doing it with revenue too. I mean, they're literally just oh, making 100%. numbers up and plugging them into the columns. And when we, we saw this start to happen, we're like, I mean, how audacious can you be to, to literally just, <laughs> yeah, it says modeled in tiny little font at the bottom. And you're, for anybody who doesn't know what they're doing, they start to look at this data and like, oh, this is look, this looks really great. I'm, you know, I'm, this is my RI on this particular campaign. And the reality is no, actually that's data that they're, modeling that making up essentially and plugging the numbers yeah. in. And if you're not paying attention, you assume that you're doing these numbers when you're not, you've been doing anything close to it. I mean, that, that our yeah. audience been with ad campaigns for us on Facebook in the last call it three months to well, three months or so anyway, has been just staggeringly low. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that w with all that to say, um, in the, the amount of tests that we've done uh, as well, kind of, you know, I'll, I'll first off kind of lead, uh, kind of into this next part of this conversation by saying never trust ad platforms reporting. 
Um, you should always be gut checking yourself like, hey, does this make sense? That's yeah. one of the things that we have been doing since the beginning is I'll always, you know, checking with clients say, hey, does, do these numbers make sense for what you're seeing on the back end? Um, that could be because Facebook pixels are not installed correctly. That could be because, um, you know, like the integration that you have with Shopify or, you know, with your payment platform or whatever isn't working correctly or it's double counting or, or, or whatever. Um, so being able to really hold... Uh, uh, ad platforms, not just Facebook and Instagram, whether you're talking Pinterest, whether you're talking Google, you know, you name it, anything that you're doing, you know, even if you're advertising on like the not, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, the evil empire of, of Yelp, um, you know, it's one of those things where you have to kind of take a step back and look at like, hey, they're telling us I'm getting all this traffic. They're telling us I'm getting these inquiries or, or whatever. Is this actually true? Does this make sense on based on what I'm seeing? So that that's really important for us to do. Well, if I can um, if I can push back just for a second, you talk about gut checking. Maybe you didn't mean that literally, but I know photographers are kind of notorious for going by their gut or their intuition or how they feel. Mm -hmm. And I've learned the hard way in life, professionally and personally, both that you can't rely so much on what you assume is happening, what you're projecting on the situation. You got to look at data. So we personally um, we're using a, a platform called Heap. Um, that is enabling us to look at data in much greater detail and actually look at customer journey in, in great detail. It's like analytics kind of on steroids almost. Um, and, and that's been really helpful for us. And it's why we've been able to look at Facebook's data and, and the actual data and, and compare and, and see how really how off it yeah. is. So, I, and that's just disturbing so, to me. <laughs> yeah. So when I say gut check, I mean, like when, when I send a report to a client, you know, I basically ask them like, hey, like, does this make sense based on what you're seeing on the back end? If your gut like doesn't agree with this data or, or if you have any hesitations, like let's really dig into this to make sure that that we're mm. seeing accurate data. Okay. Um, so not necessarily saying like, hey, let's just go with it, but really just take a look at this and say, like, hey, is Facebook, uh, let's try to keep Facebook honest or Instagram honest or whatever. Um, and, you know, when it comes to using third party attribution tools, um, you know, they're being hit just as much as uh, other platforms as well, simply because uh uh, at least some browsers are starting to strip UTMs by default, which is, you know, typically how a lot of third-party attribution mm. tools um, mm -hmm. use that. Or, you know, a lot of times we're seeing that people um, in, in Facebook or Instagram, for example, or any app-based um, social media platform, when you click on an ad, it's actually loading in the app. And so a lot of people will then move over to their browser and then they lose any sort of connection or, or data. So there's like a lot of things happening. There's a lot of nuance to that conversation um, to where like we're losing data across the board. Um, and I think that kind of coming back to your original question about, like, hey, is it worth it to, to do this? And the question is, or, or the answer is usually like, probably, um, but there are caveats to that. And one of the big that's things that's not very comforting like, to me, Jesse, <laughs> probably is not the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> but it will, well, I'll take this, I'll, I'll kind of like talk this back a little bit. But okay. basically, when we're looking at it from, from the perspective of wherever there are people that you want to be engaging with, um, like the, the days of being able to make a post, have it be seen by all your followers are long gone. Um, and that's going to continue to be the case. We're going to, you know, that happened on Facebook, that happened on Instagram. It's going to happen on TikTok more and more. Um, you know, I think the only platforms that are a little bit less susceptible to that are like, um, you know, Google and SEO. Um, that's one way to kind of hedge your bets. But at the same time, like uh, Google, for example, like to be above the fold, like you got to be paying to be there now. Um, so anyways, kind of looking back, like at probably it, the question is like, Hey, are your people hanging out on these platforms? And if they are, then there's a huge opportunity for you to be able to get in front of them. It's a matter of making sure that you are doing it in an effective way and you're doing it in a way that, um, and you're, and you're doing it systematically and not just like, 
hey, I'm going to give Facebook $300 this month to boost a post and I'm not going to like check on the results. I'm just going to look at like, hey, am I getting any inquiries? Um, and if not, then I'm going to turn it off and I'm going to say Facebook didn't work for me. Um, and so if you can look at it systematically, there's almost always going to be a way to make a, a paid app, uh, advertising platform like Facebook and Instagram work for you if you are willing to really test and really go after um, uh, like results based on like data, like what we're talking about here. Hmm. Okay. Are you, I mean, working with the clients that you do, are you seeing two, three, four X return on spend on Facebook campaign specifically at the moment? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a huge range. Um, our initial goal for any client, especially, you know, um, digital products specifically are like, Hey, we want to be able to see at least a two X return. Um, and that, that's their initial goal. Obviously with service-based, um, uh, in businesses, like we want to see much higher than that. Um, but, uh, we do see, um, you know, there are clients that have dipped below that, especially at scale. Um, you know, if we're looking at, you know, a difference of spending $1,500 a month in ad spend versus spending, you know, 10 or 50 K obviously, uh, a return on ad spend of, of 1.5 for uh, someone who's spending, you know, 50 K is still significant versus someone who, True. uh, is spending 1500 and seeing a 1.5 um, return on ad spend. So really, we're, you know, we're looking at like the difference of scale here as well. But for most service-based businesses, um, I would say that like if you're willing to put in the time and effort to make that work, it is very difficult for service-based businesses to see a completely negative ROI um, simply mm -hmm. because you, you know, uh, and you can hedge your bets there a lot with doing, you know, more lead gen style stuff as opposed to just like having an ad that says, hey, I'm a great photographer. You should hire me mm. um, simply because like for you to spend, let's say, two thousand um, dollars in ad spend as a photographer and your average wedding package, let's say, is in the four thousand dollar range. Um, you know, at two thousand dollars, I have to do some quick math in my head, like you're you're looking at impressions, a ton of impressions, like tens of thousands of impressions. Oh, yeah. You just need one of those people to book you hmm. to see a two X on that. Now, granted, as a photographer, like you don't want to be eating and cannibalizing your profits uh, by using ads like that. But the 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 main like you're not going to like lose uh, all your money um, on those platforms if you do it smart and you you know or you're you're hedging your bets, doing some some lead gen, and, and we can get into some some tests here in a little bit that they're going to yeah. help kind of protect you from you know losing. Uh, a ton of money on doing stuff like that. But especially now, um, well, you know, you look at like the glory days of Facebook and Instagram, you would post all your, you know, friends and, and followers are going to see that they, the people that you've been working with, the people that were at your wedding that followed you or at, at your client's weddings that followed you, um, see those ads or see those uh, posts. They get excited when the time comes for them to get married They're, You're still top of mind because you're still seeing that. Um, and, they, they would they would potentially reach out because you're still top of mind like that isn't happening organically uh, anymore. And so being able to, to kind of take that and turn that on the paid side of things is one of the best ways for you to be able to do that um, because it's it's not happening organically for for most photographers, at least. Sure, sure. Well, I, I think we've just seen such a massive fall off um, as a company using Facebook as a paid as platform. What I mean, the drop off is just staggering. I won't go to specific numbers, but just staggering drop off in effectiveness. And then meanwhile, we've never really played with Google on the paid side before. We were doing really, really well, actually, with just organic SEO and, and, and search and new accounts from Google. It's been incredible numbers. 
we started playing in the paid space there and the, the ROI that we're getting in that space in comparison to Facebook, again, drastic. Google being much, yeah. much more favorable. Just wonderful, actually. And um, so it's just been, I was just curious to get your take on it as a professional, um, what yeah. you had seen and what you'd experienced so as we, well. Yeah, we almost always recommend running on both Facebook and uh, Facebook and Instagram and Google for most of our clients, even if we can just figure out like, hey, which one of these platforms is going to be the best um, give you that best ROI for you. Because uh, it really, you know, like, like you, you guys are seeing, sometimes Google is just going to significantly outperform um, Facebook. Doesn't mean that you like shut off Facebook, and it, but it may mean you, you push most, most of your budget or you continue to push more budget on Google than you do on Facebook and Instagram. Sure, sure, fair enough. Okay, well, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time or our listeners' time with my stuff. Um, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk about three important tests that those running paid ads should be should be looking at for the sake of their campaigns. Before we do that, you mentioned a word earlier, funnel. And I think it's important to at least mention, I mean, I know this is a 10, 15, 20 hour conversation really, but if we're going to be talking about paid ads, paid ads should be part of a funnel. And I'm, I'm curious what or how you might simplify the description of a funnel yeah. uh, for our listeners that may not be familiar with the concept. Yeah. So every business has a funnel. Um, when we look at photographers specifically, uh, you know, if a funnel is simply taking people who you know, either don't know who you are or haven't hired you yet, um, like down a uh, kind of like a step-by-step -step process to that eventually ends in, in them hiring you or giving you money for a product or service. So for most photographers, that look like, it looks like, hey, they see your website or they see you on Instagram, they go over to your website, they review your about page, they look at your packages potentially, they inquire with you, they get on some sort of consultation call and they eventually either book you or or don't like that's uh that that is quote unquote your funnel um it's just a matter of like how you're directing people to the end result that you want them to do and and i like the way that you describe it i think it is sometimes it's easy for the significance of what is being described to get lost in the terminology especially if it becomes kind of a trendy term right so we hear funnel mm -hmm. like what is a funnel but when you talk the way you just described it, a step-by-step -step process, basically from the time that you meet or connect with a potential client to the time that you book them, that is the, the funnel. And naturally, paid ads can be part of that funnel. And that's what we're going to get into today. So um, you said that there are three tests. Every business running paid ads need to run. And um, let's, let's just dig right into them. First yeah. one, I'm going to take notes here, so you may see me looking down. <laughs> but what is yeah, that no first worries. test? Yeah, so that first test is going to be testing different like uh, we call them top of funnel options or, or different ways that you can get in front of people who either don't know who you are or a little bit on the colder side. So these are not people that have hired you before. These are not people who are like big fans of yours, but looking at how you can kind of expand your reach and just get in front of more people and introduce yourself in a way that like makes people excited to like, oh, uh, or excited to find you, excited to kind of be associated with, with your business or, or what you're all about. Um, for photographers, traditionally, that was done again through kind of those organic um, social media platforms. And again, this this test doesn't just have to apply to paid advertising. This test doesn't have to apply just even to, to digital or online uh, marketing. Um, this can be applied to everything that you do. Like, uh, you know, I think that a lot of photographers kind of discount um, like the in-person relationships, especially wedding photographers that they can have at weddings, um, being able to like talk to people and like really like put on the charm and, and show people, like, Hey, this, I'm so excited that you're here and, and remember people's names. And like, that goes such a long way in, in creating relationship with people, um, that like is a great test for people to have like, Hey, like hire or, or keep your, your second shooter around for a little bit longer in the reception so that you can go out and 
like talk to people. How you know that, that's again kind of a, a, a non-digital way for you to be able to test some of these things. But looking at like top of funnel things, like those are the kinds of things that we're talking about. Um, if we kind of transition, looking at different ways that you could be doing that on the digital or the, even the paid ad side of things, um, and we have to look at like the the root of of the problem that we're solving here. Um, photographers have an eyeball problem. Photographers don't usually have to convince someone to hire them. Hmm. Most of the time, people are actively searching for them. Right. Um, now there are exceptions to that rule, but in general, um, that that's the case. And so it's not so much that we have a, a audience problem. It's not so much that we have this, this problem where it's like, Hey, no one wants what I have to offer. Um, you know, if that's the case, then we may have like a quality problem. But I think that like, if you're taking money for your work, let's assume that like your work is good and people like it. Um, and so we have to then take a look at like, okay, how can I get in front of people at a time when they are going to be looking for what I have to offer? And, uh, you can't necessarily depend on organic al algorithms that are extremely uh, irregular um, to be able to, to kind of do that for you anymore. And so that's where you can really start to look at how, how can I get in front of these people in a way that um, is going to help them get to me, no notice me at a time when they're looking for you. Um, so a couple ideas there, um, you know, a couple things that I think uh, well, let me take a step back here, looking at like the timing factor of this. This is something that cannot be understated. Uh, I see a lot of photographers do this uh, and they have really good intentions, but like, for example, they'll be giving away like, Hey, here's a, here's a blog post on, um, how to, how to set up your wedding day timeline, um, to get the best photos. Like that's great content to have for your clients that mm -hmm. you're already working with. But anybody who sees that and is thinking about their wedding day timeline already has their photographer. And you're just helping another photographer get better work. Um, and so being able to really think through, okay, what are those things that, that a photographer uh, or, or, or a bride, or we'll, we'll talk wedding photography because that's, I think, the, where the timing issue becomes um, a more important or, or at least more uh, relevant to this conversation. Um, is that like you have like a th uh, potentially a two, maybe three month window from the time that, that someone gets engaged to where they actually book their photographer. Um, and so thinking through, okay, what are they doing in that, that, that time frame? And one of the first things that people do before they set a date is they need a, need a venue. So having like, uh, uh, some sort of blog post about like, uh, the best venues in your area, the biggest up and coming venues in your area, um, some sort of roundup, um, to kind of help people see the kind of venues that they want to be working with. You can run ad traffic to those things. Um, obviously you want to set up blog posts in a way that highlight your work that potentially have like testimonials on there from clients. You know, if you can, uh, you know, have, uh, images from some of those venues, that's even better with clients with testimonials there that that's building trust and saying, Oh, like, I really love this. Um, get basically exposing people to the work that you do in exchange for giving them content that I think is going to be pretty valuable for them. Doesn't always have to just be um, traffic campaigns. It could be, you know, some sort of lead gen where you're, you know, giving that in exchange for an email address. Um, email platforms are, are relatively inexpensive, at least, especially when we're talking about just testing something where you could set up a, and a lot of them, you know, it's a one-stop shop where, you know, you can set up a landing page, you can set up uh, email follow-up and all of those things where you can even auto deliver, you know, a one page PDF that you make in Canva. That's like, Hey, here's the top three up and coming venues that I didn't want to post on my website because I want to keep them secret for my clients. Um, you know, something like that, that you could do that is going to get in front of people that are at the, the stage of their, 
lives when they want to be working with you. Just kind of throw, throw out some ideas there. So the, again, thinking through like, hey, how can I get through to people? How can I, can I uh, you know, those top of funnel options, how can I test different options beyond just like showing up to weddings, shooting, sharing uh, on you know, social and then rinsing and repeating. There's so many more options that we can do there, especially when we're, you know, not just putting out like content that people are expecting to see, but like really selling that content, whether it's like best of, uh, you know, like I used to love running an ad campaign every year um, for our photography business. Um, that was like the best of 2020. You know, everyone does those roundups anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like all of a sudden, like th- that's something that I want to click on. Uh, you know, as a, as a bride potential, like granted that may not be like at the timing of, of a photographer, but you are going to get uh, great clicks and you're going to get potentially great results there. It's definitely worth a test. Um, especially if you can set up those pages in a way that really highlight your work, highlight, um, like the testimonials, like I mentioned, um, because people that are, are looking at those pieces are going to be your clients as well. They're like, Oh, I wonder if I made that list. Um, and you're just going to be reengaging them on multiple levels. Now, granted, I don't think anyone's going to be like super upset if they didn't make the list, but, um, you know, in general, I tried to include as many clients as I could on, on lists like that. Huh? Okay. So uh, I'm going back to, so the, the number one test, of course, as you pointed out, being testing different top of funnel options to get in front of potential clients. I'm looking down here at my notebook and I, I just wrote down, look at the root problem. So when we're, when we're talking, we're thinking about running an ad, the ad should ultimately speak to a need and or desire that that potential client has. And you're saying that one of the ways to go about doing that is to consider the timeline. And I, I like that perspective. Where is that potential client at in the timeline? If they, if they are now looking for a wedding photographer, they're looking for a wedding venue, that means that they're in this particular point in their timeline as a bride or as a groom. And so we need to speak to them accordingly. Is that time? Have you found that that timeline is pretty consistent across the board? Um, is that very I mean, from since, since COVID um, obviously like that threw a whole kind of uh, wrench in, in timelines for okay. most photographers, but the events that they need to do stayed relatively the same. It's just like the, the amount of time change. So, you know, venues, for example, are still something that people need and, and are looking for before they have to book their date, before they can book their photographer. It just happens to be that, like, for example, in San Diego, like I want to say I saw, I saw a, stat, a stat from a couple different wedding uh, planners that said, like, they used to book people two years out and now they're booking people like an average of eight months out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like some of those things just got shrunk, which in my opinion is great for photographers. And I hated booking things two years out. Uh, it felt like, like, man, my, my life is accounted for for the next two years. Um, uh, and you're, like, you're, you're getting deposits on things like you're not going to see that, that rest of that money uh, for two years. So shortening that up is, is great in my opinion. But um, yeah, so like that timeline, I feel like is pretty consistent when we're looking at, um, and like every business is going to be a little bit different. Every audience is going to be a little different. Every uh, area um, is going to be a little bit different. But in general, like when we're looking at most brides and grooms um, or most couples are going to want to uh, book their wedding. Like the order of things usually stay the same. It's going to be like venue or a wedding planner followed by venue where they lock in their date followed by photographer. Um, and then, you know, if we're looking at videographers um, or, or cinematographers that they, they kind of get the short end of the stick where either they are getting uh, in at the beginning or th- they're a last minute add on. Um, but in general, photographers are, are pretty, um, can, can hold to the, kind of that schedule pretty regularly. 
Okay. And then when we talk about looking at different types of top of funnel options to get in front of the client, I mean, lead gen opportunities like saying, Hey, here's a list of the top, my five recommendations of the top in event five venues in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I, where I live. Yep. Mm-hmm. Something like that, that also, as you pointed out, highlights you as the photographer in those articles with your work and references to your business. That's really smart. I, can you give an example of one or two other potential um, styles of ads that you might run in that case? Is it, is it, or is it only about kind of lead gen um, articles yeah. like that? So, I mean, uh, I mean, you could, especially when you know, we're talking about tribes, for example, really thinking through like, what are some of those things that really like attach yourself or really like highlight your brand or the kind of weddings that you want to be working with. One client that I worked with, like they only really did elopements and um, uh, elopements and really small weddings. Um, And so like they would pretty much solely shoot in national parks. Like they did a roundup of like, you know, my favorite shots in national parks, for example, or like, uh, you know, here's some, uh, or, or, you know, a lot of those people are doing destination weddings. So they would do like tips on like how to plan, how to plan for your destination wedding in a national park. And it was like a guide on like getting permits and, and stuff like that. Um, so you can think through like, how does your brands look for example, for you, if you were a photographer, that's like, Hey, I want to shoot more weddings that like have motorcycles, you know, or like people that like love motorcycles. Or something. <laughs> yeah. like, you, you could do something <laughs> like that, that like, you know, is, is kind of like, you know, highlighting images of people like, you know, a bride and a sure. groom riding into the reception on a motorcycle or whatever. You know, maybe it's like, hey, how I love to see brides, uh, bride or couples, um, like inject their personality in their weddings. But like, again, you have to make sure you're thinking about timeline. So you'd use language like uh, how to inject your personality uh, uh, before you even choose your venue. So like you're, you're kind of like qualifying people by saying like, hey, mm. this is when you want to be downloading this thing. Okay, so that so thinking first of all about how can I add value to this potential client by presenting information relevant to the timeline, and mm-hmm. um, and then also and the idea of thematic material as you're just describing I think is actually a really good um, I don't know it's food for food for thought when if if I was wanting to come up with an ad campaign that would that would give me a lot of different, I think throw a lot of different ideas in my head. If I'm thinking about coming up with themes, especially are reflective of, as you alluded to my target clients, the people that I'm wanting to work with. So that's good. Okay. Well, I know that we could park there for a bit. We've got two more tests to talk about. Take us to the second one, if you will. Yeah. So the the next thing is looking at the different conversions, uh, like quote unquote events, how looking at how you're actually taking people from you know, now that they've, you know, they've downloaded your lead magnet or they've been to your website and thinking through like how you are actually turning them into a client or actually giving them opportunities to, to hire you. Um, this is something that we tested, uh, me and my wife tested pretty extensively. And I think it like, that's one of the only reasons why we were able to, you know, be so successful relatively quickly is because we were willing to like have people to our house. We met people at, at coffee shops. We did like zoom or Skype back then. Um, you know, we tried just doing phone calls. We tried, you know, just like, you know, sending people to a page where they could, you know, book right then and there. Um, and we tested all of those different options. You know, we tested different price points. We tested different uh, package styles. And those are things that I think that a lot of photographers just don't do because it feels uncomfortable to them. Like, well, like, you know, like my booking rates are okay. It's not like I, I let a ton of people slip, slip through the cracks, but it's not just about necessarily the booking rates, but it's also looking at, um, 
like your overall profits in these things. Like you could be potentially leaving a lot of money on the table because you're not meeting in person or because your, you know, packages have been the same for, you know, or at least the package structure has been the same for, you know, your entire career. Um, so all of those things, you know, that's one of the biggest tests that I think that a lot of businesses need to be running um, in those things um, and giving yourselves, as you get in front of more and more people, um, that becomes more and more important, especially if you're running paid campaigns to, um, to, to grow your audience and get in front of more people. We want to make sure that we're taking advantage of all those people that you're getting in front of and not letting people slip through the cracks and make sure that you are seeing the biggest ROI on those pieces that you have. And I know this doesn't necessarily have a huge, uh, like this isn't necessarily ad specific, but I had to include this because it's very important um, to be able to look at this from a just overall conversion perspective. If you can't figure out a way to convert the most people at the highest price point that you can, like it's going to make your ad campaigns a lot harder to be successful. Sure. Okay. So, and, and just for anybody who's new to these, to this conversation about funnels and ad campaigns, the word conversion, we're talking about convert literally converting a potential client to a paying client. And so what you're suggesting is, okay, we start with this ad campaign and we've generated a certain number of leads. We have the opportunity now to potentially convert them to a paying client. And you're suggesting look at different ways to go about that process. Once you have that name or that phone number or they've scheduled a call with you, kind of where to go from there. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, that that's kind of like if we're just looking at keeping things relatively similar to what they've been doing, that's one thing. Um, you know, another great example, um, you know, I worked with a client who was moving to a new area. And this is something that we see uh, a lot is they jump into a new area and they try to do the same things that they were doing and when they were already established mm. and expect to see like really great results. Whereas yeah. like a lot of times for people, it's like, Hey, like this is do or die. And so like, you know, there are other opportunities to look at like a quote unquote conversion uh, or how you're converting people from getting in front of people to not. And so like, for example, one of the, one of the things that I had a client do, who was going to a new area. They didn't have family. They didn't have a community there. So it was like brand new there. Uh, I think their, their husband was military. So they're kind of moving into a completely new side of the country. And I said, like, Hey, if you have the time and you're willing to put in the hustle, like, you know, run the quote unquote funnel of giveaway free engagement sessions, um, take as many as you possibly can give away three images with any person that you shoot. Um, and then either offer to sell them the rest of the gallery at like your, you know, full or close to engagement session price or offer to give them that for free if they book you for their, for their wedding. At that point, you've given yourself the big, biggest opportunity for them to fall in love with you as a photographer as possible. And if you didn't kind of make them fall in love with you, chances are like they're not a great fit anyways, if you've already shot them and they didn't like their work or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, like that's just another option of a conversion event that you can kind of, or, or think that something you can test to look at, okay, I'm going to try to get someone in the door and high, be able to like really show off my highlights, show off my work, my work, and then give them an opportunity to book with me. Um, and obviously this is, you know, a, a quote unquote option for people that are, uh, willing to put in that hustle that maybe like, Hey, like I just need to be able to book work. I don't care how much time I have to put into this. Um, whereas someone who's a little bit more established, like doesn't necessarily need to do something like this, but this is an example of, of kind of what you could be doing or, or another option for people. So it, yeah, we have to be careful not to write off the effectiveness of the campaign. It, some of that responsibility sits on our shoulders that once we have that potential client in our lap, 
how we go about converting them, a lot of that rests on us and we have to learn or be willing to, to put, like you said, put the work in to be creative, to try different ideas out, to see what converts more effectively. We can't just give up because we didn't convert the first time. It could be that we're approaching that, that process of the conversion process and effectively yeah. there might be a different way to go about it. And one thing that I'll add here is that, um, <laughs> I'll try not to be super, uh, abrasive here, but I will, I'll, this is another hill that I'll die on, um, <laughs> is, that you don't have anybody to blame but yourself when you let a lead or a potential client slip through your lap simply because you couldn't be bothered to respond to them as soon as possible. Hmm. Um, granted, like everyone has boundaries, um, and I think that those things are good. Like you don't need to respond to an email at two o'clock in the morning, um, but like hop into your office or, or jump, you know, jump on your phone, or your laptop, and respond to people in the morning. Like don't let three days go by without responding to a lead, especially if it's, it's someone yeah. that like, you're paying money to get in front of. Like the timing and the being able to communicate expectations there, like you want to give them a glimpse of what it's like to work with you and give them a good glimpse and not something that's like, man, I responded to somebody and now I'm kind of just twiddling my thumbs waiting for them. I was excited and now I'm not. And so, you know, being able to, and that's one of the big things that you want to test is as you're, you're considering tests, there's thinking through how can I capitalize on people's excitement to, to work with me? Someone is never going to be more excited to work with you than when they took that initial action, when mm. they downloaded their, their potential lead magnet, when yep. they inquired with you. Um, yep. You know, one of the tests that we did is as soon as I'd get an inquiry, I would call them and, uh, and you know, 90% of the time I'd get a voicemail, which is fine, but at least like they're, you know, they're getting a glimpse of who I am. I'm trying to show personality when I call them. Hey, I'm so glad that you inquired with me, with us. I'm really excited to chat with you. I'd love to schedule a time with you to, to talk more about what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that, you know, a 20 second voicemail can go a really long way in just making people feel like, oh, these people are on top of it. They're going to get me my images when they say they're going to they're get those things. So all of those different things, as you're thinking about tests, thinking through, how can I capitalize on that excitement? Um, even more so, even becomes more important when we're looking at an ad campaign, for example, because we're going after very cold people usually, people that have no idea who you are. Um, and so being able to really warm them up as fast as possible, uh, no better way to do that than by, you know, getting on the phone or sent, leaving someone a voicemail. And like some people may not like that, but they don't have to answer your call. Um, chances are they won't, but they're going to listen to your voicemail. Um, 100%. And, and by the way, you're going to stand out leaving a voicemail because most photographers, I mean, first of all, there's no excuse for somebody not responding to a DM right away on Instagram exactly. or to an email for that matter. But th these days, actually taking the time to call somebody and leave a voicemail, if that's the only option, that's that puts you in another tier automatically. And, it, and like you said, it only takes 20 seconds to do it. But yeah. going that extra, it's not even an extra mile. It's just funny. In this day and age, it's an extra mile, though. So do, making, the, making that effort, putting in the extra few seconds to do that thing will make that much more an impression. I also like what you said, Jesse, about um, letting them hear the tone of your voice. And I think this goes a long way as well, especially in our culture, which just naturally, everybody's very touchy-feely. If they actually hear a tone from you, which suggests that you're genuinely interested in connecting with them versus just yep. this kind of robotic response in a DM that in and of itself will make a really big impact. Even like you're saying, if, if it's not their natural tendency to pick up the phone and answer that, that call right away, getting to hear that from you, that genuine interest and desire that comes through in the tone of her voice, that really goes so far. And I think that's underestimated, especially in this day and age where photographers are like, Oh, and I'm an introvert and I don't talk to people. I don't know if we just make the extra effort, it will really make a big impact. Yeah. And you know, you bring up like Instagram DMS, for example, 
and you know, kind of going back to one of the things we talked about earlier, which is like progress over perfect. Um, you know, sometimes, for example, what what I'll do is I'll just respond with a video. Like if you want to respond in an Instagram DM, just record a quick video, quote unquote, leaving a voicemail. Um, it's going to be way faster for you. You're not going to spend. You know, you don't have the opportunity to like erase and re-record it, or like you know, in the email you write it. You know, especially if you're not using canned responses, mm-hmm. kind of deleting it, starting over, deleting it, starting over. Your clients are like looking at the like typing icon. <laughs> like, this guy needs to make up his mind. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So being able to like, you know, test some different options there and, and look at how high touch you can be. I think that that's a big part of this conversation is looking at how can I be more high touch in yeah. this process? Like, when, you know, photographers in general, like it's a pretty personal thing. Like I always used to say, like, no one is going to be hanging out with you more on your wedding day than your wedding photographer. So like show off your personality, give them opportunities to connect with you. Mm -hmm. Like, don't be scared to talk about like some things that that potentially you like, you want to give them opportunities to be like, Hey, I like this guy or I like this girl. Um, as opposed to being, you know, on the other side of that where it's like, man, I like, this feels like a corporate, uh, you know, like wedding factory that like, I'm not going to really like be able to connect with somebody. Yeah. I, something that I do, and this is going to sound totally cheesy, but even when I send, I'm responding to a photographer, for example, on, on Instagram and a DM, or maybe sending a message through messenger or whatever it may be, I'll literally, I'm thinking about the emotion with which I'm communicating, even in that DM. Now I'm, I'm like you, Jesse, I would much rather get on the phone or have a zoom, even if it's a zoom conversation, just so that I can actually have a conversation. I think that's more impactful in the end, but if I am going to send a DM then I'm thinking about the emotion that I want to infuse in that and I'll throw an emoji or two in there to, to try to communicate that. But I'll literally find myself smiling sometimes as I'm sending the smiley emoji, just because that's the intention with which I'm communicating. And that may sound ridiculous to some, but no. again, in a, in a world where we are just so inundated with messaging all of the time, and most of it is very robotic coming from some random third party company we can make a really big impact by being more personal. I also like what you suggest about the video messaging. I still remember the one or two times that somebody sent me a video message in response to an email. And again, it's only happened one or two times in the last couple of decades or whatever being in business. But to actually have this very personal response from somebody where I, I mean, I, they're talking to me. I can hear it. I can see it. I can really feel it. There was some genuine intention and the emotion in their voice. And I was, it felt like a treat. It was awesome. So yeah, taking, making the time to do that, whether it's on Instagram or I use Loom quite a bit now in communication with my team, just so again, tone is not lost. I can easily send them a Slack message, but I think tone can get lost sometimes. And people assume this word means this thing or that thing. If they can see my eyes, they can hear the tone of my voice. Then we help minimize the potential for confusion. And now you're actually communicating with the human being versus just yet another text message of some kind. Yeah. And you know, we're looking at marketing uh, you're giving people so much more to connect with. It's not just words that, you know, like tone can be missed in your looking at emails. Um, you know, like I can't, you know, how many sketches or, or com- you know, uh, comedy sketches have been done on, uh, you know, miscommunicating via email. Um, oh yeah. You know, but when you start to add your, your inflections, they start to see your face. Um, you know, the fact that you're wearing a Patagonia hat, then, then, you know, you're giving them more opportunities to be able to connect with people. Um, just even, even just being who you are and, and showing up and see, seeing your face or talking to you. Um, and you just don't get that. It's like, it costs you nothing. Um, yeah. and you know, at bare minimum, you know, you should test it. It's like, Hey, I hated it. My clients hated it. Okay. I got no issues with that, but you know, test it. Uh, and again, those are just, you know, a couple options that you could be testing. There are, you know, a handful of other things, you know, like, like what we mentioned, um, in getting people to the phone or, you know, testing, you know, uh, different, uh, 
different packages or different options there as well. Like there are a lot of things that you can test throughout that quote unquote conversion process. Um, that's just one of them. And Tom on YouTube says, I'm curious of different ways to approach businesses for B2B. Email, for example, is a horrible conversion rate. Going in person or calling seems like annoying them. <laughs> and, and I hear you on that, Tom. But do, do you think that that's, do you think it's any different in B2B, Jesse? Do you think there's still an impact, opportunity for impact with that more personal style communication or no? Yeah. So when, when it comes to B2B, if we're looking at just like, like, for example, cold email outreach, like, yes, your conversion rates are, you know, I think that you like in, in like the general sales kind of world, if you're cold emailing people, it's going to take you, I want to say it was like 1200 emails sent to get a single response. Wow. Um, and so, you know, one of the ways that, that I would kind of go about that differently is running ad campaigns to get them to email you uh, or like inquire with you or, you know, uh, request something like right now we're running a campaign for the, for the agency specifically that, you know, offers a free audit, uh, of your, your marketing efforts. Um, basically giving them opportunities to connect with us. We'll send them a video going through their, their, their options there, which allows us to, to start that conversation without having to like email a hundred million people to get three responses, Mm, um, and be able to like, you know, kind of control the narrative of that conversation a little bit more. So, you know, when it comes to B2B, I think that, um, uh, I, I don't remember the full question, but, um, but he was just general, talking about, yeah. I mean, what, what he said right after that, Tom was saying that ads probably being one of the options and you were talking about that, actually, it's kind of interesting to flip the script instead of trying to send a bunch of emails, crossing your fingers that we get a few responses. You're saying run a set of ads where it kind of begs their response and them giving you their email to you. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, one of the biggest kind of, uh, uh, combatants that we have, or one of the biggest kind of challenges that we have uh, not challenges. One of the biggest ways that we can combat some of the changes uh, on paid advertising due to some of the privacy stuff we talked about um, is using copying creative and using overall offers, whether it's lead magnets or you know paid offers or whatever, using those to target people. Um, so for example, in what we talked about with wedding photographers, like for example, going, you know, using language, talking about getting married in a national park, like we're using that for, for people to kind of self-identify as, oh, I, that's the kind of person that I am. So I click on it. Um, and so same thing with B2B, we can do the exact same thing if we are um, kind of using copy and creative, using our offers to go and further target people to make sure we're not just like, you know, with, with B2B, it can be a little bit difficult to target people because it, especially on Facebook and Instagram, on LinkedIn, it's a little bit easier, but um, Facebook and Instagram, like you can't target people that are in this specific industry that have this specific job or, or whatever. And so using copy and creative or using offers to be able to get in front of those people, um, is a great way to combat some of the, uh, targeting issues that we saw, um, go away from, uh, or, or sorry, the targeting issues that came about from the iOS changes. Okay. Well, I know that we haven't hit that third test. We've hit the arrow mark. So let's just touch on that real quick if we can. You've got a third test that paid advertisers should be paying attention to. What is that? So the, the third test uh, that really any any paid advertising needs to do, and this is, again, one of the things that are really important for paid advertising, but it also applies to basically your entire business. And you need to do like at bare minimum, a quarter, quarterly step back and ask like, hey, is what I'm doing working? Um, and to be able to ask yourself that question you have to be able to, as you're testing things, to be able to decide and, and kind of as you create these tests to say, like, hey, what kind of defines success for these tests? Um, what do I want to get out of these tests? And um, like, how long am I going to commit to doing these things? Okay. I can't tell you how many times people have come to us and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I've tried these ads. They didn't work. Like, I don't know what I, I need to do differently, but like, 
something needs to change. You know, we start asking questions. We start looking at these things. That's like, well, I spent $50 and I didn't get anything. Um, so like, I think that this is broken when in reality, like, okay, you spent $50, like, you know, to an audience of 5 million people, $50 got in front of you and it got in front of you, or helped you get in front of like, you know, a couple percent of those people were as, yeah. you know, like being able to get in front of enough people or like maybe narrowing down your targeting, um, would help you be able to decide if that test was actually going to help you get what you wanted to do. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we require people to work with us on, from the agency perspective, at least for a minimum of three months, because, you know, it's really difficult for us to be able to troubleshoot or, or try different things. You know, one of the things that I'll say over and over and over again is every business is going to respond. I'm sorry. Every audience is going to respond a little bit differently to every audience and every audience is going to respond a little bit differently to every single offer. Um, and so, just because one thing worked for one specific company in a way, uh, like you know, their, their brand, for example, just may align really well with a certain offering that they have. It may not work exactly or identically the same to um, what you want to do. And so being able to and being willing to test a lot of things um, is really great. But you also have to be willing to take a step back and say, hey, is this working? What can I do that's going to help me move forward? And what do I need to kind of like cut ties on and, and, and move those things over to something that is working? Um, and a so lot of that's kind of driven like, by what you said earlier, right? Which is to be clear about what it is that you're even trying to accomplish to begin with. Because it would be exactly. easy to say, just very broadly, I want to book more clients. But that's really not a specific enough goal for any good marketing campaign. Certainly when it comes to paid advertising, we have to be super specific about what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And then you, you said on top of that to also have a timeline. I, I want to do this in two weeks, or I want to do this in four weeks, or I want to do this in whatever the timeline and being very spe uh, specific about that. And then that enables you to go back and then review at the end of that process to see whether or not the goal has been achieved and if something needs to be changed in order to actually achieve yeah, that goal if it hasn't. Absolutely. So important. Um, and, and so many things that uh, so many things that people don't do simply because one, uh, I had, I had a, a uh, kind of a call with a like big name photographer um, who was like doing some education stuff and talking through like, like, hey, like, well, how is this stuff working for you? And her exact response were like, hey, I don't want to know the nitty gritty details of the data because I'm scared that I'm not doing well, mm. which is a very like, you know, this was someone that was spending a lot of money on some of these things. Um, and like, I, like she was being very successful. It wasn't like she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, losing a ton of money on these things. Sure. But like there were some things that were like, hey, I don't want to, I don't want someone to tell me I'm not doing a good job. <laughs> well, it uh, sucks to know like, that. Right. But I, I, I mean, yeah. this is something we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast. If you're and, and I was guilty of it for so long, Jesse, as a as a photography business owner, um, and even after I started Photographers Edit, despite its success, and I and I guess in some ways I got lucky because I was so naive to the significance of data and paying attention to data and being willing to face the hard data, even if it didn't feel good at times, to actually yep. look at that data and then figure out how to use it. It's so important. And it sounds nerdy, you know, kind of like efficiency and workflow. Like photographers are like, ah, that's not I don't really care about that. I'm just trying to take a good picture. But there are certain elements of running a business effectively. If we're going to scale it and build it over time, we, we just have to learn to, um, to be okay with, to comfortable with some of these concepts and at least learn a little bit about them. Certainly, we hire professionals such as yourself to help us manage the, the so-called nitty-gritty at the end of the day. But we have to be willing to at least look at that data and be aware of it so that we're making mm -hmm. intelligent decisions for ourselves. Otherwise, we're just we're, we're back to what we were talking about earlier. A lot of photographers kind of function on a whim and their gut feeling and however they feel that day or that week or that month. <laughs> and that's going to only get you so far. Black and white data doesn't lie. And, and if you're just going to ignore it, you're going to choose to kind of dig a, a deep, dark hole for yourself. 
Yeah, and you know, one of the ways I like to look at data is like this is one of the things that like this huge tool at your disposal doesn't necessarily cost you any more to get it. Um, it doesn't necessarily cost any more for you to look at it. And if you just ignore it, it'd be like showing up to a wedding um, like without your favorite lens. You know, it's like you're, you're like intentionally handicapping yourself um, against like looking at what could be working best for your business and what could be helping you yeah. like do some really great things simply because like you're scared of the answer. That's a, that's a great analogy to. though, that because it's perspective, right? So if a photographer mm -hmm. thinks about missing their favorite lens and the beautiful perspective that lens brings, that's the very thing that's happening when we're ignoring data because we're afraid of dealing with the finances or afraid of digging into the analytics or, you know, whatever it might be, we're ignoring the data and our perspective becomes very limited as a result. That's a, that's a great analogy. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things I heard a photographer related to, uh, um, like when they would shoot weddings, they would always make sure that when they like sat down to eat, they were within like earshot of, of the reception. Like, you know, if the, if the, the like place where they were having you meet wasn't like near that, yeah. um, then they would like choose to be closer because mm -hmm. like if there was like a fire happening, you know, quote unquote fire, not a real fire, hopefully. Um, but you know, like something happening, they want to be able to run over there to make sure they're not missing something. Um, because there's nothing worse than, than, you know, being like, Hey, like, did you get that picture of that? It's like, no, nah, I was actually like shoving my face full of food at that point. Um, but you know, similar thing to when we're looking at data, like if we don't know there's a fire because we're so scared to hear what's going on, then we don't even have the opportunity to respond. Right. Um, and so, you know, looking at like, Hey, I'm going to test some of my conversion rates or because I'm going to try getting people on the phone a little bit earlier. You could see conversion rates shoot up and chances are you were missing out. Let's say you got hundred inquiries a year and you were only booking 20 of them and all of a sudden you book 30 of them, that's a 50% increase simply because you're able to get on the phone. And I've seen literally that drastic of conversions simply by doing some of these things. And so, Interesting. Um, you know, all because they're willing to test some things and look at the data. It's like, okay, it, it makes it worth it. And it's a little bit easier to swallow, especially for people who like don't like doing those things or it makes them uncomfortable. It's really outside their comfort zone. If it's going to increase a you know your your potential overall business by fifty percent, it makes it a little bit easier to kind of get on the phone and make some of those things happen. Well, I, this has been a good, I mean, truly an introduction to the conversation because, of course, this is as I said earlier, a much much larger conversation. But um, and you didn't ask me to do this, but I, I just want to give everybody an opportunity to learn a little bit more about Till Agency and and the services specifically that you would offer to photographers if they want to get more help. This is just we're barely scratching the surface here. So yeah. Jesse, will you just share a little bit of information about the agency and some of the services that that um, you all offer? How they can get in touch with you all? Yeah, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> we offer, uh, uh, especially for photographers, um, both uh, paid advertising campaign management. Um, as well as SEO services for photographers. Um, you know, one of the things that we say when it comes to ad campaigns for photographers specifically is sometimes it's it's better off for us to kind of get you started on the ad campaigns um, and then have you manage those, especially because most photographers aren't going to want to spend, you know, 20 grand a month, or I'm sorry, 20 grand a year on advertising where like it doesn't necessarily make sense for especially smaller photography companies to pay for an ad agency to manage their ad campaigns. And so that's one of the things that we'll jump in there. We can, you know, audit your campaigns, give you some suggestions, um, do kind of like a, a quote unquote like consulting uh, slash like, you know, create a round of copy and creative for you um, and kind of get you uh, set up to help you see the best results possible without having to, because um, it's, you know, honestly, you know, our, our minimum retainer for ads management a lot of times is not, uh, unless you're really working at scale. I mean, our minimum retainer is $2,000 a month. Um, and so for a lot of photographers, it's just not worth it unless they're, you know, having, you know, multiple, um, 
associates or they have a big studio. Um, the other side of that is SEO uh, and, and the Google management side of things, um, which uh, can make a lot more sense for photographers specifically, especially if they're smaller businesses that are just trying to really grow. It can make a little bit more sense on that front. So, and, and just to be clear, you talked about the retainer for ad management, but is the retainer for SEO the same as well? No, it's a different retainer. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that's going to depend on like, uh, you know, after we do it, we, we offer a free SEO audit as well as a free um, ad audit as well. If you're either currently running campaigns or uh, want to start running campaigns, you know, we can audit some of those pieces um, there as well. Um, but um, uh, the question was, oh, is the retainer different? Yeah. So, it, you know, we, when we, after we do that audit, we can uh, kind of quote, based on what your goals are, how many focus areas you want to be looking at. For example, if you're just wanting to kind of start increasing your rankings for, you know, Chattanooga wedding photographer or specific venues or, or things like that, um, you know, then we can, uh, you know, customize what that's going to look like for you. Okay, cool. Well, Jesse, I, I appreciate you sharing all this. And I, I know we're barely scratching the surface. I had another question pop into the comments to Tom on YouTube. Tom, uh, make sure you reach out to Jesse. And actually, Jesse, remind everybody where they can find you all uh, online on social media as well. Yeah, so um, you can find us at till.agency, uh, no.com. It's just till.agency. You can find us online there. Um, you can also reach out to us on Instagram um, at till.agency, um, as well as you can reach us via email. You can reach out to me specifically at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, at till.agency. I'm happy to, to get you at least point in the right direction um, if you reach out to me there. Perfect. Um, and of course, we'll put all of this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. I appreciate everybody listening in, streaming. We had a good number of, of individuals streaming with us today. You all make sure you reach out to Jesse and the team. If you have any further questions, they'll take good care of you. And uh, Jesse, thank you so much for making time for all of us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks for having me.